0: Hello members, friends, and neighbors of Peace Lutheran Church in beautiful downtown Puyallup, Washington, to episode 17 of the church's podcast that's begun in the time in quarantine, our time of separation. It's called Together in the Word on Pioneer and Third. And for the first time in several weeks, we are Together in the Word on Pioneer and Third. Greg, yes, my guest today is Greg... Uh, Cronlund and Greg is uh, our uh, fearless leader of our church choir uh, and longtime member of Peace Lutheran Church. Thanks for being on the podcast today, Greg. Thank you
1: very much for uh, inviting me. I was I was flattered. And it's interesting that it's number seventeen because in two choirs that I sang in previous in my previous life, uh, I had folder number seventeen twice.
0: So. Aha! <laughs> Good. It's a meaningful number. Uh, I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. <laughs> uh, Greg, would you be willing to give us a little bit of uh, background information about your life and who you are? We want to know you better.
1: Sure. Um, born in Tacoma in 1949, which makes me the ripe old age of 70. And um, I, I grew up in, in Tacoma. Uh, my my uh, Growing up years were spent at Bethlehem Lutheran Church, which is still up on thirty eighth thirty uh, eighth street and uh in Tacoma. And uh, that's where I attended as a child and was confirmed there. And that was my that was my home base for a long time. I uh as early as the third grade I was fascinated with vocal singing, hmm. sang my first uh sang my first solo. At Bethlehem Lutheran Church in the third grade I was I don't remember what verse but it was we three kings and I was one of the kings and uh, that kind of set me on a, on a musical uh, performance bent and so with, all the way through school I did choir and plays and that type of thing um, upon graduating from high school there was this thing called Vietnam going on mm-hmm. and I uh, my mother was absolutely against the war and she said if you get drafted she'll she'll buy my ticket to Canada Wow. And uh so I ended up joining the National Guard and uh, served on the armory floor of <laughs> of Tacoma. Uh we had, we were a boat unit so I got to be out on the water in a wow. boat which was a big part of my life. And uh then spent 41 years I became a disc jockey and I spent 41 years in commercial broadcast radio and uh in 2006 Uh, Moved over here to work for a Christian uh, radio station, which unfortunately was the most, it was the worst experience of my life. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, As far as behaving and treating and dealing with problems and issues and things like that in a Christian manner, it was very cutthroat. And it's a very predominant company. Mm. They owned five small uh, radio stations in Seattle, and I went to work for them. That lasted. Two years and eight months, and then I found myself uh, turning sixty, and radio didn 't seem to want me anymore. Mm. so I had to reinvent myself mm-hmm. so I uh, got my associate 's degree. I attended college for the very first time wow and uh, and became a sixty two year old graduate at Pierce college all right and uh, uh, so I got my associate's degree from them, then went back into the work field doing all kinds of different odd jobs, and uh, became acquainted with Peace uh, from my mom. Uh, when she and my dad moved here to uh, from Tacoma uh, to Puyallup, they started attending Peace. So when we would come to visit with, the, with their grandkids, our kids, and when we would come to visit, we would... Uh, we would always find ourselves worshiping at peace. Mm -hmm. Became good friends with Ron uh, uh, when he was here. And this became my mom's home church for 28 years, Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mom was the kitchen Nazi. (laughs) If you didn't do it right in the kitchen in this church, she would get on your case. And uh, I think one of the... Crowd things for her. Uh, in terms of that, is that uh, two things occurred uh, when I moved over to the, to, uh, to this side of the mountains. Uh, Linda and I decided to attend peace on a regular basis, and then when I be when I auditioned for and was accepted as the choir director, that was a that was a big deal to her. Wonderful. So uh, the roots. Here at peace actually go uh, fairly deep. Yeah. And when Mom passed away, uh, we were talking about what we wanted to do, and uh, and because of the because of the choir and because of the relationships that we had built, and the friendships that Linda was beginning to make, we decided that this was our home. So we've been here ever since.
0: Wonderful. It's amazing to me, each time I get a chance to speak with a new guest, how much I learn about your life and how much I learn about how exactly you came to be part of this congregation. So thanks for sharing those details. I've been asking every guest on the podcast two questions about the COVID-19 outbreak, uh, both important. The first is, how on earth have you been getting through? How have you been coping personally?
1: Um... We've been sheltering in place since March 11th. Uh, I, was working, I was working for Pierce, uh, I had just gotten a job, uh, my third job at Pierce uh, in February. And uh, by March 11th, uh, they were starting to say that you know we got to send everybody home. And I figured my job was done at that point because I was extremely part-time, I just worked a few hours a week, and I figured, that's it, we're done. And lo and behold, they came to me and they said, "Um, we would like you to uh, work from home. Hmm. So they gave me the the software and the instructions, and uh, I worked from home from March until June 30th. Hmm. Um, And so for three to three and a half hours every day, Monday through Friday, I was able to walk away from news Good news, bad news, mm-hmm. uh, political unrest, all of that. I could just go away and, and just do my job. Mm-hmm. And for three hours, I didn't have to think about it. I thought about something else that, that was supporting the students yeah. of Pierce College. Wonderful. Uh, then on June 29th, they came to me and they said, we are cutting our budget at Pierce College by 20%. Mm and they're not retaining any of the part-timers. Yeah. So on the 29th, I found out that my last day was June 30th. Oh, shoot. So that's the way that I've been coping. As a couple, um, Linda and I have discovered uh, Scrabble. <laughs> yes!
0: I love Scrabble.
1: <laughs> so we, we will have, uh, we have, we have Scrabble things. And it, she, she was really fine with it because I always lost. Uh-huh. But now I've won four in a
0: row. Uh-oh. That's just
1: a little concern. Of course.
0: <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. You're the first person to explicitly mention board games. I know board games can be controversial. Some folks love them and some folks hate them. Yeah. But you love them. That's good.
1: Yeah. With, so, and uh, when she gets fed up that I've won too many games in Scrabble, we play
0: Yahtzee. Okay. So <laughs> and that's still safe? That's a safe bet for her? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Good. So, Incidentally, uh, have you heard of Bananagrams? No. Bananagrams is like Scrabble mixed with speed. It's a speed version. Uh, you might like it. Anyway, oh. Bananagrams. There you go. There's your recommendation for leisure activities <laughs> for the week. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that bit of your life in in quarantine. I'm sorry for the loss of your job.
1: Well, as it turns out, if based on what the government did, uh, I filed for unemployment. This seems. This is totally bizarre, uh, but. I filed for unemployment, found out I was qualified for a small amount, mm. uh, and didn't have the waiting week, which I was surprised. Anyway, I got the payment, and if that, if that payment continues, I'm making about double what I made as a part-time. Oh my
0: goodness, wow. So it's
1: kind of an incentive not to, not to actually find work.
0: Sure. Or at least not the same job that you right. had. Right. Right. <laughs> oh good, I'm glad to hear that. Um, it's it's been really important uh, to see personally the ways that folks that I know have navigated that particular challenge because I know it's been d- devastating in some ways.
1: A long time ago, I, I just particularly just, I, I probably the realization came in 2009. I was unemployed. Uh, I was going to school. I was uh, I was I forgot to tell you that I became unemployed in 2009. Mm. And during that whole time, we had a condo, and we had to get out of the condo on a short sale mm. uh, in 2009 when that recession thing happened. And we, uh, I was going to school. Mm. My wife was fighting the battle of banks, mm. trying to foreclose and all kinds of stuff like that. And uh, I, I discovered that although God God doesn't always work on my timetable, mm. he always works. Mm. And it was always at the last second something would come along, mm. and you could just tell that this is a God thing, mm. that he He has intervened on our behalf. Mm. And I began to realize that God didn't bring us here to throw rocks at us. Mm. Uh, all of these trials and tribulations, including this one, really it's it's all about... Do you have the hope? Hmm. Do you have the trust? Do you have the faith? Mm-hmm. Because God's going to be there to sustain you one way or another. Mm-hmm. We treat the virus in our home very similar to we treat how we treat 110 electricity in our home.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't fear it. But, but you I respect, respect it. it. And I don't fear the virus, but I respect it because yep. both of those can kill me. Absolutely. And... Um, so I, my thing is, you know, my hope resides that God knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And my hope resides that Christ is really there mm-hmm. walking with us through this whole, this whole thing. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm very—the worst thing in my life would be if I accidentally gave someone else— nineteen. Yes. And I've had uh, three shirt-tail relatives die. Oh, no. Because of coronavirus. Uh, they're very, very far in. They're my cousin's cousin's Sure. cousin. Uh, but uh, she lost uh, two aunts and a cousin uh, to COVID, and I lost a Facebook barbershop friend mm. to COVID. And uh, so I respect what it does Absolutely. to people. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also going to continue to live my life in Christ. And sure. Go from there.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, I think, a really good, healthy, mature, faithful response. Um, and I'm glad for that. Thank you. Uh, the other question that I've been asking about COVID specifically is, uh, given that we are in the midst of a crisis, and it's a crisis we're all sharing, uh, crisis, I think, has a way of bringing the worst and the best out of communities. Uh ideally the best if that were to happen if someday down the road you could look back and say here's a way that we came out of the COVID-19 crisis stronger than we were when we went in what would that look like for you
1: uh, if this magically went away today and everything returned to normal for me i would hope that everybody recognizes how important human connection mm-hmm. is and human touch mm-hmm. uh in the context of the church mm-hmm. corporate worship is about touching people physically emotionally mm-hmm. mentally mm-hmm. uh it is <clears throat> it's uh communion mm-hmm. the act of communion is a corporate mm-hmm. uh, thing Absolutely. it's uh Serving communion to myself or serving communion to my wife online mm-hmm. is fine, mm-hmm. but it doesn't contain quite the warmth of kneeling next to someone that you know or love or have some kind of relationship with and receiving the sacrament that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Even the stranger. Right. Right? It's, Even the stranger is one with you in communion. Right. Yep.
1: And... um Yep. So it is. It is the great uniter. Yep. And I. It's. It's interesting to see how communion has gone in my lifetime. Uh, communion was once a month. Mm-hmm. And then became a couple times a month. hmm And then became weekly. And. Uh, and to my grandfather in his time, communion was twice a year. Yeah. Because you had to spend six months getting prepared.
0: Yeah, of course. Communion.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and then six months again. Right. Um and now the understanding, which I think was the understanding originally anyway, yeah. is that this is a corporate declaration of receiving grace. Amen. And receiving God and knowing that you're all in this together. So I think Absolutely. getting back. Also being a musician, uh being being a singer. That sings in choirs uh, and stuff like that. I, I can't wait to hear the first chord.
0: Amen. <laughs> yeah.
1: That would, be, that would be ideal. My barbershop group has um, that I sing with, they have uh, folded for the rest of this year. Sure. So we're meeting virtually, but that's not the same thing. Nope. And so if this came out of it, uh, the joy... Of being able to emotionally connect with a human being not Mm -hmm. through a screen Mm -hmm. because it's so hard you can't shake hands with your computer
0: screen amen yeah (laughs) amen even when you are socially distant in proximity to other people you still you know the best practices are to remain physically distant right and to not initiate any kind of touch but i'm with you i I think that we have missed the the warmth as you said the warmth bodily warmth actually the the warmth of actually receiving a sign a physical sign uh of god's grace and presence in our lives which is symbolized both in the bread and wine itself at communion but also in the presence of the body of christ all of the the gathered believers i miss it too thank you i appreciate that the second half of every one of our episodes is a foray into the upcoming gospel for sunday And so I'll read that gospel for you, and then we'll have some some conversation around it. Does that sound good? Sure. All right. The gospel for this Sunday, the sixth Sunday after Pentecost, is Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, and then 18 through 23. Matthew 13, 1 through 9, and then 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, they were scorched and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold some 60, some 30. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to Christ. Um, So we, in, in Bible study... Traditionally, whether it's personal devotion or group Bible study, a piece, we often use three questions that are really basic and are not intended to constrain our conversation, but actually to open it up to to sort of give us some prompts to start thinking about this text. And the questions are as follows. The first is simply, What do you notice? Is there a word or phrase or an idea that just jumps out at you this time? Obviously, most of us have heard this story before. What is it that really speaks to you this time? Second question is, What questions do you have? Is there something you don't understand or is there something that bothers you or something that calls to you in the text in a way that you can answer that question or not? Maybe the question will lead us to better questions even. And then the last question that uh, we ask in Bible study is what will you take for today? How does this word become flesh in your life? And I've noticed that in conversation with my guests on the podcast Uh, often one question will sort of fall into the next and the next, and we kind of go back and forth. There's no reason that we should have to stick with each of these questions, but I think maybe that first question is the simplest, so maybe we'll start there. What did you notice? What stood out to you this time, Greg?
1: What stood out to me is that 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 is um, basically it's a group of four, Mm -hmm. and it's very reminiscent to me of how I came to faith personally
2: Mm.
1: because i know that i've i've heard it and it went away Mm. it just didn't make any sense Mm. it just didn't work i know that i've heard it and it's uh it's 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 been choked out by Mm. the people surrounding me by Mm. peers uh i know that uh i know that it has it has been planted but weeds have come up to try Mm. and choke it out and then i And then I also know that there were times when it took root, Mm. and so this particular passage, I I always like the fact that that Jesus gave his parallel to everybody, Mm. but only explained it to the disciples. Uh (laughs) And uh, the fact that uh, you know, from from our vantage point at this particular time, uh, it's also the um, it's also the stages. That, uh, that most people go through uh, when they hear the Word of God mm. and they're confronted with it. Um, one of the most interesting things that, that happened to me in my life in 1967 I was singing with a folk group and we went on a tour a Midwestern uh, tour and we sang 32 times in 29 days. Wow. And one of the places that we were at was Wartburg College. We sang at Wartburg. Hmm. and uh, we stayed the night in the dorm this was in the summer this was uh, June or July probably June and we stayed there and we met a seminary student who had so much conflict hmm. and just wasn't something called him to become mm-hmm. uh, a seminary student something called him to be a pastor but uh He was so conflicted, Hmm. and I see some, when I read this the other night, I was going through it, and I'm thinking about it in terms of of my experiences and stuff, I remember this one young man who was so conflicted, Hmm. and uh, we sat with him for hours after our performance, Hmm. because he's actually asking these high school kids, because we just had all graduated from high school except for one. Uh, asking us why we believe what we believed. And mm. he was, you know, I was 17, he was probably 22, 23. Sure. And I saw a lot of his angst huh. and his questioning in that particular parable, and I hadn't so- thought about that since 1967. So. Wow. But that really came forth because this this one young man... Was just up there, and I often wondered: did he actually go into the ministry? Mm. Is he a pastor that doesn't believe? Mm-hmm. Did he find his faith? Mm-hmm. But that also points to one other element
0: mm-hmm.
1: of this passage: is that we are not responsible for the harvest. Mm. Amen. We are responsible to spread that seed. We mm-hmm. are responsible to share through our lives and our actions and what we say and what we do mm-hmm. that there is a Christ and that we have been saved and that's good news. Mm-hmm. That's not a restrictive thing, that's a freeing thing, which most people don't get. They they think it's a whole bunch of rules. Right. And uh and this passage basically says you just do what you're you do this part. Mm-hmm. And God's going to take care of the rest of it. And that's exactly the way I feel about this pandemic. God's mm-hmm. taking care of what needs to be taken care of mm-hmm. in his own time frame. Mm-hmm. And no politician's going to fix it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And no scientist is I mean Hopefully, there will be a vaccine. Mm-hmm. But that's because God has given them the wisdom to create that vaccine. Right. So, um, and I, I think back to what you were saying, it, it brings out the best and the worst, and Jesus saw the best and the worst in people of course. throughout his entire ministry.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's a really powerful response. I've actually never thought of the four soils as phases. Or instances in the life of an individual person's faith but that's really helpful and it's actually quite Lutheran I I worry a little <laughs> bit uh, sometimes I think this passage has been used to hammer people over the head and to say are you rocky soil or are you thorny soil or are you soil that's been smashed down on the pathway or are you good soil because God expects you to be good soil and bear fruit but that, as you pointed out, that's really not the purpose of this story. It's not an emphasis on what you have to do to uh, receive the word like a seed and cause it to thrive yourself. That's not what this is about. This is Jesus calls it the parable of the sower. Yeah. This is about the one who scatters the seed so, wide, so widely, even knowing the, the potential obstacles. I mean, the, the sower has to know that sowing seed into, you know, rocky soil and thorny soil and onto the pathway is a fool's errand right to some yeah. degree three fourths of the seed isn't going to make it right. and yet the one who sows the seed is also the one who causes the growth and it's miraculous growth that's one thing i really noticed this time around i looked into it a little bit but it turns out that a hundredfold harvest is probably a little bit of a tall tale uh, that a hundredfold harvest would have been a dream uh, that was really unattainable most years for the average first century peasant. Um, so the hundredfold harvest kind of harkens back oh, to the land promises. of milk and honey. Yeah, exactly. Goes back Old right. Testament. That's right. It's, this is the Garden of Eden. This is the land of milk and honey. This is God's reign finally come to fruition, so to speak, yeah. uh, on earth. So it's a, it's a promise. That's what it is. This is much like many of Jesus' parables. It's a promise of the kingdom's ultimate arrival. I appreciate your reflection on that. Um, one of the one of the questions we ask is, "What questions do you have? Do you have any questions about this parable?"
1: Um, not particularly. Okay. Uh, skipping the passages and getting to the uh, getting to the the portion where he is explaining it yes. to the disciples, and part of that could be the intense Lutheran theology that I have been through through my life. Yes. Uh, we had a very very my. Uh, Confirmation teacher, Pastor Knute Lee, who's passed away um, several years ago. But anyway, Knute Lee was a, uh, a college professor at PLU yeah. that taught religion. Cool. And uh, he left PLU and became a, uh, a pastor, uh, which probably wasn't the best place for him. But our confirmation class was, <laughs> was college level. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> That's good. I love it. Yeah, you mentioned the... the verses that we skipped and they're pretty significant verses sometimes i ask this question of the lectionary committee a lot why did you skip all that uh and most of the time i think it's probably for convenience to make the the passage a little bit more readable
2: Um,
0: when we bite off a little bit less it's easier to chew Uh, but it is important because the 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 part that we skip is is the subtitle is the purpose of the parables and the disciples ask Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? Them, in other words, the crowds. And he says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, to understand what I'm trying to get at. Although in the gospel of Mark, the disciples certainly don't understand even at the end. Frequently don't get it. Frequently. But to them, to the others, it has not been given, which raises a question for me. What does it mean that that God should reveal God's truths to some and not to others—that's a tricky yeah,
1: question. Yeah, it, the the concept of uh, God knew my name before I was born, right? Uh, which has led some religions and some some denominations to to go to uh, once saved, always saved, right? Uh, and predestination, predestination, and, and stuff like that, and uh, and so. Had you read that part of it, mm. that's where I would have had the question. Sure. And the portion that was read, uh, it made it made sense to me and, and connected with me all the way through. Sure. But and I did read the whole thing. Good. And I'm going, you know, okay, for those who have been called, mm. okay. So how do I how do I know if I've been called? Right. Is one of the questions. And uh how do I know that what I say to somebody else might not either bring them to or remove them from God's grace and love? Hmm. And that's a heck of a burden to put on an individual.
0: Yeah. Well, and unfortunately, I think it's a realistic question. We've all seen really bad evangelism, right? We've all seen the ways that the church has often done the opposite of of what it purports to do, uh, to push people away, right? Rather than to invite them in. When a, I was that's a problem.
1: It, it, going back to 1967 when I was singing with the Travelers, yeah. which was the name of the quartet. Uh, we the reason that we had the tour was because we won a talent contest to go back to Winona Lake, Indiana. Oh, cool. for Youth for Christ and compete in the folk division. Yeah. And one of the, the one of the things that we did, we were there over the course of a weekend. So there was Sunday worship at the Billy Billy Sunday Tabernacle. Cool. Okay, very Baptist oriented. Uh huh. And the preaching and the altar call led three young Lutheran boys to go, wait a minute, maybe we don't have this. Huh. Maybe the, 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 the preaching was so what well, you had done wrong. and what you had to do Mm -hmm. in order to be saved, Mm -hmm. followed by a traditional Baptist altar call. Right. Uh, And we're all going, but we've been baptized. Mm -hmm. We have have done communion. We have followed the ordinances. Why do we feel so excluded? Excluded. Mm How can we feel like we did this wrong? Mm-hmm. And, of course, we are in the midst of all of these, um, I'll say, Baptist-oriented sure. uh, uh, kids, because it was a youth thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we walked out of there going, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. According to what we've been told and according to what we've read in Scripture and according to what we've understood, we are okay.
2: Mm-hmm
1: but they sure made us feel like we weren't okay. Yep. And one of our members, uh, sadly has fallen away from the church totally now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happened early on. He's 71 now, so he probably, probably 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, because there was, the, the, we, we had this underlying, uh, underlying question by what we heard and what we witnessed and what we saw. Mm-hmm. And by the way we came in second in the talent competition. So. Oh, okay, good. Alright,
0: that's good. Well, second is the best, right? First is the worst, second is the best. Yeah, I think you've just put your finger on one of the most important questions for contemporary faith, which is how do we faithfully and sufficiently express the love and grace and mercy of God, which we believe actually is unbounded in a way that we can't possibly understand. God is always going to be more gracious, more merciful, more loving than I am for certain in a way that is attractive to people and causes people to be drawn to the love of God in Christ as opposed to being repelled by it because we see often, often the loudest voices and often the most uh, well-known folks who are, you know, believers, according to their own, uh, their own confession, just are repellent uh, in, in, the ways that they, in the ways that they express the core of the faith. And there are lots of ways, myriad ways that that hits home. But if you're missing the mark with the people to whom you are responsible for witnessing, you can do incredible, devastating damage to people's lives of faith, and and frankly, to people's lives in general, I'm thinking especially of kids who are members of the LGBTQ community who have been deeply dehumanized by the words of their pastors and the words of their yeah. of their faith communities and who uh, haven't haven't been able to, no matter how desperately maybe they've wanted to be different, have discovered that, no, this is part of who I am. And yet somehow that's not good enough for my church. So that must mean it's not good enough for God.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's when, as human beings, we are sinners, and therefore we have a tendency. And I, I don't even know if it's a tendency, but we have have this thing that if you don't look like me, if you don't talk like me, if you don't, you are excluded. That's and right. We do it. We do it.
0: Left and right. Yeah. Left. All and right. over
1: the place. Yep. Ah. Uh, and we keep expecting a human fix Mm -hmm. from a political standpoint Mm -hmm. we can't fix it politically we -hmm. we have to fix it internally we have to fix it I was in a conversation I don't know if you may want to cut this part out I was in a a Facebook conversation with someone and I and I and they were discussing racism Mm -hmm. and I said uh, and I said in my post that that I don't look at the color, I look at the individual. Mm. And I was beat down mm. on Facebook mm-hmm. because if I don't recognize color, then I am a racist.
2: Mm.
1: And I don't get that. Yeah. Uh, I... Thought that they wanted what Martin Luther King Jr. was talking about when he says the content of their character, not the color of their skin, but i 'm according to Facebook, and i 'm done with the political discussions on Facebook, but according to that I'm mm-hmm. i 'm wrong i shouldn 't believe and try and do what Martin Luther King was talking about, uh, which just I, I just don 't get it mm-hmm. because I want to know the content of the individual. Mm-hmm. And the only way that anything can ever change is if I understand the content of the individual. Um, it's just, it's 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 that of the pandemic is probably to me the worst element that has come out. But we can't, I don't care who the president is, can't fix it politically. We have to fix it within ourselves. And uh, if everybody's shouting Nobody's
0: listening, sure
1: yeah I'll get off my soapbox
0: yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that story. I know that Facebook is often not a an especially productive place to try to have good, meaningful conversations, and skin color is certainly not you can't tell someone how what someone's like by the color of their skin that's certainly true. There's a children's book that i uh, that I love it's called Shades of People, and that's one of the most important uh, messages is that human beings come in every shade and that you can't tell what a person is like by the color of their skin. It is true also, I think, that skin color matters, right, in people's experiences in the United States. And so the the danger of, of the age-old kind of colorblind approach is that to ignore a person's skin color is also possibly to obscure their experiences. I think maybe that's what people need.
1: And, and, and that may be what they were trying to say to me. Mm-hmm. To, to me, uh, to me, it is, okay, yes, I recognize that this individual is a different color than me. Mm-hmm. Now, can we get past that? And I also understand that you have obstacles that I have not had. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I am only a third generation American. hmm uh, no, I take that back. Second generation American. Uh, so my ancestors came over on the boat. Sure. My grandmother through Ellis Island and stuff like that. Yeah. They had struggles. They had they had all that kind of stuff. Uh, Norwegians took their brunt of it, just like the Irish took their brunt hmm. of of it. And uh, and of course, blacks had no choice hmm. in the matter. If if the black individual actually comes from a slave family, they had no choice, Mm -hmm. Uh, they were imported here whether they wanted to or not. Uh, And to recognize those struggles, I think makes sense, but more importantly to me is that yes, okay, I recognize that you've had it rough, what can I do to make it easier and the only way I can make it easier is if I know more about you.
0: That's a good start, yep, thank you, I appreciate that, thank you. That last question that we ask of of the text each time is the most important, not only because it's the last one, and it's one we're most likely to remember, but also, I think, because it reflects what Holy Scripture is supposed to do for us, which is to take root in our lives, so to speak, like, uh, like the seed that falls on good soil that the holy scripture is not just on a page but it's living and active right it's a word that speaks directly to our lives that interprets our lives in light of that understanding of the way that holy scripture is supposed to function what would you say you take from this passage today what is it how does this word become flesh for you
1: probably just in the in the realization that through my words and my deeds And my actions uh, that it's not mine to judge where some because and that happens in in Christian communities Mm -hmm. they judge where your journey faith is Mm. Uh, that to me is not my responsibility my responsibility is to share the word in the appropriate way demonstrated in my life Mm. and in the way that I treat people so uh, on the surface of it to me that's that's really what this is about Mm -hmm. it's uh it's still it's all about relationship Mm -hmm. and in my personality type relationship is everything Mm -hmm. and so i think of i think of the choir and i have no clue where anybody's at in their journey journey Mm -hmm. or their faith journey because it's none of my business Mm -hmm. but i do know that i attempted Treat them mm-hmm. with respect, and I, uh, I I demand the best that they can give me. Mm-hmm. But I also try and demonstrate that where where I mention fallacies to them, mm-hmm. they're fa- I I recognize them because they're in me. Yeah, and I'm talking musical fallacy, not individual sure. being yeah. fallacy. If there's mistakes in the music, uh, and there's a real symbiotic, because they're teaching me mm-hmm. as much as I'm teaching them. Mm-hmm. And most of them are better musicians than I am. Mm. My job is to pull them together into, into coherence. So mm. uh, it's not my place to judge. I, I spread the seed. God's going to do the watering. Mm-hmm. Or Jesus is going to do the watering. God's going to do the harvest.
0: Mm. Yeah, amen. Yeah, again, the, the, the harvest is God's gift, right? That we trust the harvest to come to pass because we trust that God is faithful. Yeah, that's really related to what I take. What, the, the way that this word becomes flesh for me today is, is sort of Jesus, on the one hand, Jesus' realism about the prospects. I, I appreciate that. I, love that. I love that it's not just a, a rosy-colored image of how everything's going to be just fine in the end. Uh, no, Jesus is really realistic about the rocky soil and the thorny soil and the hard-packed soil on the, on the right. pathway. Three-fourths of the seed is not going to make it. Jesus is really clear about that. But he's equally clear about the promise of the final harvest. Yeah. And not just that 25% of the seed is going to produce fruit, but it's going to produce a bounty of fruit, more than you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, so it's both, right? It's both realism on the one hand— uh, about the obstacles to the you know reign of God taking root on earth as it is in heaven, but also this hope that ultimately god by god 's faithfulness it will take root yeah. and i think I think that actually both of those outlooks are really important to the life of faith i don't think people of faith should be disappointed or surprised when the Word of God, the Word of life um, experiences setbacks right and when there where there are obstacles and where there's rejection and hostility. Uh, that's not a s that shouldn't be a surprise to us that's, that's sort of Jesus is warning us that that's the yeah. case three quarters of the time uh, but also on the other hand not to lose not to lose faith entirely not to lose hope because ultimately the the, the hope rests in God's promises which God's you know God yeah. is faithful to fulfill in the end so it's both realism and hope at the same time thank you Greg Cronland, for your time and for your insights and your storytelling on episode 17 of Together in the Word on Pioneer and Third. And thank you all for listening. Until next time.